Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Before we get started, we need to give a huge thanks to our sponsors of the podcast. We just picked up Old Cypress Outdoors, so welcome aboard and thank you for sponsoring the podcast for October. And also, as usual, a huge shout out to Steve German's Taxidermy and Cousin's Smokehouse. We couldn't put this on without you. So y'all be sure to check them out online and pick up a bag of Cousin's Smokehouse jerky for your hunting bag this season. Let's get started. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, we're in Karen Crow, Louisiana at Acadiana Wild Game Processing with Matthew Corville talking about everything you need to do after killing a deer. We've been focusing pretty heavily on scent control and setting up stands and, and ways of hunting and things like that, but we haven't talked much on what do we do after putting an arrow through a deer, after tracking and after finding it. So we're going to talk a little bit today about processing wild game, doing it yourself, what to look for in a good meat processor in your area, as well as a couple of recipes and unique things that you can do with the final product, whether it be jerky or roast or, or sausage. So really interesting episode for us, and we want to say thank you to Acadiana Wild Game Processing for letting us come out to their facility. So we all put a lot of emphasis on hunting deer hunting pigs setting stands being scent free making sure our bows are tuned making sure our arrows fly straight and that our broadheads are sharp and all these things but it seems to be that a lot of the emphasis is put on the forefront of killing a deer and this episode is going to be about the aftermath the the after the hunt if you will so matthew thanks for joining us today thanks for having me yeah no problem man so we are in karen crow we're at acadiana wild game processing here um right off of 49 yep right and we're going to be learning a little a little bit about how we got into this industry um and also some methods for taking care of your game to make sure that you have the highest quality in product possible. That's right. So so tell us a little bit about your business. So we've been here uh, at this current location for uh, four and a half years, um, and we process any type of wild game from ducks, geese to elk, um, buffalo, or or bison, (laughs) Um, you know, uh, and a lot of deer. Um, We also have done bear in the past. So anything wild game, um, you know, we, we can process it into a finished product, a specialty meat product, sausage, smoked sausage, uh, or jerky. You know, I think a lot of us have had a bad experience in our lives of some sort and with wild game. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. That's actually one of the things that's so unique about hunting for game is that we're not going after something that tastes just like 
cattle. Or right. It tastes just like, <laughs> you know, Muscovy duck that you'd buy in a restaurant, right? Our, yeah, it's every, wild. <laughs> everything that we're hunting has a, uh, a gaminess, and people use that word differently. Sometimes it's good. A lot mm-hmm. of people say, I love that. I would never take it out. Um, other people are repulsed by it, you know, and, and I know a lot of deer hunters wives that say they would never eat venison ever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's one of the things that's really interesting to me and why I wanted to talk to you today is, is trying to figure out how do we ensure that we have the highest quality meat and flavor that we can get without, um, you could say damaging the end product. Yeah. Um, I think first of all, it starts in the field, uh, with field care. Um, I mean, as soon as you kill an animal, you want to really work hard to get that meat iced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you hear stories of guys killing deer and putting it on their truck and riding around. We all heard that story. I've actually had people come in and, and try to bring me deer that way. But uh, I, very politely, I let them, the customer know, like, you know, I can't run this meat in my machine because mm-hmm. I have customers who brings us quality meat. And uh, I'm just not going to put you know, rotten or semi rotten meat through, yeah. our, through our machines, you know I mean? Um, so ultimately it starts, uh, with, with the hunter. Um, and then, you know, you want to get it to a, uh, processor or if you process it yourself, you really want to get it done as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Time is, is key, you know? So, uh, I've always felt as if the second you shoot a deer and find it, that's really when, and it's not just a deer, it could be a hog, it mm-hmm. could be anything. Especially a hog. Especially a hog, yeah. Uh, as soon as you find it, you're really racing the clock to get it cooled down. Yeah, you know, nature's going to want to take back <laughs> everything yeah. that's that's dead, you know. I mean, it's just the way it goes. So you want to fight that bacteria from setting in or w- whatever it may be. You know? Yeah, and so, you know, step one is uh, obviously being cognizant of the weather that you have mm-hmm. at, at the time of the kill, right? If you've got, um, if it's 55, 60, 70, uh, as of right now, 80 degrees and we're hunting, mm-hmm. uh, don't suggest waiting 8 to 10 hours trying to let something lie and then hopefully thinking it's still good the next right, day. It, right. it most likely isn't. Um, but if you're have, you have below 40 degree temps, 30 degree temps, and you're you, okay to work a little okay. longer. Yeah. Um, but regardless, you'll, I bet even eight to 10 hours later, when mm-hmm. you gut that animal, you're still going to have steam coming out of it. Oh yeah. Because uh, you know, this sounds really obvious, but we're warm blooded creatures, deer are warm blooded creatures, and we have insulating, uh, attributes mm-hmm. right to keep our warmth in and that continues even after the animal's dead and in order to cool it down as fast as possible you got to get the guts out of it you got to field dress it potentially um you know get it hung up as fast as possible and then quarter it and get it on ice right you know how many times have you been uh you know hanging a deer in the evening after it's dark and you got a light on it and it might be 75 degrees outside but you still have steam yeah. coming off of the hindquarters you know you may you shoot know. that animal in 80 degree weather but the internal temp of that deer or hog is you know 99 100 degrees mm-hmm. 105 if it was running you yeah know? so you know you have to really take those kind of things into consideration um and just get it on ice as quickly as possible so i've always heard that the way a deer dies or even the timeliness of its death can affect the way that it tastes right mm-hmm. yeah. um you know, adrenaline you, and hormones uh bingo yeah and so you know, when you've got a deer that was shot double longed by a bow that dies within 30 seconds and 50 yards of being shot compared to a deer that was maybe wounded, tracked for hours, um, jumped multiple times, mm-hmm. had a dog bay him up, all that stuff. So that comes through in the flavor, right? Yeah, um, more so on hogs than deer, but absolutely. Um, and and the, the long, short story of this is um, if you're mixing your wild game with seasonings, mm-hmm. the seasoning is going to help uh, alleviate some of that taste, if you would. Yeah. Um, and and you, have, you have some control over that in the processing uh, portion. Now, what's your opinion on older deer versus younger deer? Or young is de- ten to ten to ten. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's just well, true. And then, what about a rutted buck versus another deer that's not in rut? Right. Obviously, those hormones are going to be flowing. You know. Um, now, whether or not someone can actually taste that, I mean, that's totally up to the mm-hmm. uh, the person saying. You know, s- some people are wine connoisseurs; they can you know detect that kind of stuff. But um, personally, I've eaten you know a lot of a lot of deer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never said, "Oh, that." that deer tasted like, you know, he was in rut. Now, mind you, 
uh, I season everything, and and like I said, that that will but have still some a, control. There's still a base flavor, you know. There's still a different, and so I've, I mean, I've killed, I don't know, come, probably coming up on twenty deer now, mm-hmm. and since I've been hunting and and been cleaning my own deer and quartering them and, and packaging them up myself. I have yet to have an animal, regardless of how far it ran, how long it was alive after the shot or anything that you could say my wife wouldn't eat. Right. Right. Or my my neighbor wouldn't eat if I put it in chili. Mm -hmm. But I have had uh, deer that was processed by somebody else or was maybe, like you said, run around town on the the bed of a truck (laughs) with the tailgate down showing off. Um, it happens. Know, yeah, yeah. I have a story about that in a second, but, um, anyway, those, those deer that I've found that I've always found that the difference between them was the amount of care taken in the breakdown process and how much connective tissue, sinew, silver skin. And like you and I were talking about before the podcast, the glands, Yes, you have to get the glands out of there. Yeah. 100%. I mean, if, if you leave those in there, you and grind sh- it all up, yeah, you will know it. You'll find it. And one of your pieces of sausage is going to have, you know, a gland in it. <laughs> and, and that's just, you know, and that goes, um, down to hunters educating themselves on how to properly do something. You know, there's a thousand YouTube videos you can watch. Now, some are not very credible. You mm-hmm. just want to make sure that you really find something that is credible. Cause look, you spend a lot of time, a lot of money, uh, doing what you love to do hunting. And if you, uh, take that game to the processor or do it yourself and you have a bad end product, I mean, really you're spending your wheels. You might as well be. Exactly. <laughs> well, and then the other thing is that if you, if you, it's like a calculator, you, if you put good information in, you get good information out. You bring a, a good, well cared for, cooled down, properly stored deer to a processor. You're going to get a great end product, mm-hmm. right? You bring one that's been ridden all up and down I-49 coming from North Louisiana <laughs> He'll on send the, you home. the toolbox of a truck. And <laughs> and then, you know, he runs it through the machine and now other deer are tasting like that too. Maybe, yeah. You know, yeah. And, or you got to break down all your machinery to, to make sure you have a, a good clean start for the next batch. Exactly. Um, but like today I brought you, I don't know, it's probably 30, 35 pounds of, of deboned cleaned meat. And that's mm-hmm. actually how we got started on this conversation of doing a podcast on on processing wild game is I've always done it myself. I just have. And my, it's always been a family thing for us. In fact, my uncle Kyle, who was uh, doing the video with me last night, he was like, man, how many deer do you think we've processed together over the years? Because he doesn't deer hunt. He has, he's done it his whole life. He doesn't do it anymore. But if I kill a deer, he'll almost be waiting at my house to help me break it down. <laughs> it's a family affair. Because it's what we like to do yeah. together. You know, it's, it, these are the things we're going to remember decades down the road, you yeah. know. Um, but he was the one that taught me about taking extra time and really cutting all the connective tissue out and having clean red meat that you're going to run through the processor for your sausage, for your ground meat, and especially steaks and all of that. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, you know, I've done it myself primarily, and then I'm hitting a point now where between Louisiana Bowhunter and my job and other things I have going on, I don't have time for it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And there's a part of me that makes makes me sad in that because I enjoy it. I wish I had time to do it. But at the same time, you know, like your business, you I, I feel as if from what I've seen from your facility today about your equipment, the care that you take in making sure you have a fun, fantastic end product um, I brought you my meat today to grind up for me and add fat to and package up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got it 90% of the way there because, yeah. you know, so I kind of got the mix. I, I got the, the family time with my uncle. I got to do that with him and kill the deer and quarter it up and all that stuff. And then I get a better end product than what I could provide myself by coming to you for the last step. Right. right. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that comes out and, 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 uh, having it professionally packaged versus, you know, in paper and plastic bags, like we do at our house. <laughs> but yeah. so tell me about your facility here and the equipment that you have and what do you think separates you from other processors? Um, so this facility was built uh, about four and a half years ago. Um, and I built it with the, uh, end goal in mind of just trying to provide, uh, a clean, quality uh facility that people could you know drop their deer off and wouldn't really have to worry about we have a drive-through we have a 24-hour drop-off 
Um, and the way that the, the actual facility is designed, it's, it's designed um, kind of like a runway. Um, so the ice chest comes in. Uh, my meat cutter will cut it into steaks or whatever it may be. From there, it goes to another station, uh, which is where it's seasoned, mixed, grinded. Um, and then from there, it goes to the sausage station or the ground meat station. And then from there, it goes to the packaging station. Um, so everyone's deer stays in line. I know mm-hmm. that what turned me off in the past uh, was hearing stories of people getting their deer meat switched. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, everyone hears that. You yep. know, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. Um, so I really wanted to create... Um, an environment where that really couldn't happen. So, uh, you know, we, we designed it that way and, and everybody's meat stays together. Cause you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, somebody is going to take the time to debone their own meat and get mm-hmm. everything done right. You know, they might not want their meat mixed with somebody else who, you know, may not have taken as much time. Of course. Know, so, um, I, I actually, I work in Mississippi a lot and I stopped in at a game processor with an employee that I work with and he, he had some stuff that he needed to pick up that mm-hmm. was ready to go. And the first thing that, w- that happened when I walked in was, I mean, this smell hit me like a board to the face. Yeah. How, do, was, how does it smell in here today? It smells great. <laughs> it does not smell like you do any type of processing here whatsoever. Yeah. It, that That's the comparison between the two is, is astounding because yeah. there I was nearly gagging. And here, it's if if you blindfolded me and brought brought me here, I'd have no idea that you did any, any of the stuff here. Because yeah. it's and that's something that's something that I think is important to to say, especially since we're on audio, is that the cleanliness here is impressive. It's it's obvious Thank that you. you take care of your equipment, you take care of your facilities, and I think that comes across well to your customers that are going to come here. They're going to trust you, and especially after they do one deer, I have no doubt that, that you have a lot of repeat customers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. My point about the Mississippi facility. Facility, they were cognizant of it. They were aware that they were, I, I guess just to say it, disgusting. And if anybody had anything to say about it, they would be like, well, we're, we're too busy to do it any other way. Yeah. God, that, uh, she said that to a customer that wasn't happy with what he was picking up. And I remember thinking in my head, I was like, you were only in business until somebody else opens up around. Oh yeah. You know, that's if (laughs) the only reason you exist is because there's nobody else to put you out of business yet. But the second there is, you won't last another year Yeah, because people don't want to go to places like that, you know, and getting into this industry, I I knew that I had to appeal to, um, females because, um, most of the time, not all the time, uh, wives will come pick up their husband's meats, you know, the husband's offshore. So I knew getting into this, that if, you know, if someone's wife walked in here and there was, it smelled like, you know, (laughs) most of those places do and looked like some, some places do, um, that they wouldn't be back or, or if (laughs) at the very least they would not eat my product, you know? And, and if the families aren't eating packs of sausage. I mean, I have customers who bring eight deer, 10 deer a year for their family. It puts pressure on the relationship (laughs) of the hunter and his wife. It really does. I I have, I have friends whose wives will blatantly say, you know, I'm not going to eat this. I will not eat this stuff. I I have friends whose kids, they couldn't give it to them if they paid them. Yeah. And you know, people have that feeling for a couple of different reasons. Number one is I believe that they've had a bad experience with wild game. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it only takes once. Oh, yeah. You you have one inedible piece of sausage or one steak that came off of a deer that didn't get clean for two days and was hot. And they'll never trust it ever again. Okay. Um, and then the other thing is just people. And this is this has nothing to do with the processing industry, but. There are people that I guess you could say empathize with the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like what, what, what's that? There was a funny newspaper clipping from a few years ago. It says you're you're evil for killing animals. Why don't you get it at the meat where at the meat market where no animals were harmed, <laughs> right? <It's, laughs> Sometimes you just can't believe. Yeah, some of it's this like stuff. yeah, it's, and so yeah. Um, some people, if you think about society these days, uh, they don't want to uh, feel the guilt, if you will, I'm yeah. doing air quotes of harming an animal in order to have sustenance, Mm -hmm. right? To have protein, to have meat. And one of the biggest ambassadors of the hunting industry these days is actually Cameron Haynes, Mm -hmm. um, who's a a beast of a human being in general. And he and a lot of other people that are in front of the camera a lot in the hunting industry, they've done a great job, I think, of helping people that that didn't grow up hunting, 
They didn't grow up near hunting. It didn't grow up with anybody that knew they knew that hunted. They do a great job of using social media to say, Hey, this is where your meat comes from. Yeah. I know what it's been eating. I know where it's been walking. It's hormone free. I know how it died, you know, and I know the care that was taken after it was killed. Exactly. And, um, while you might not agree with my decision to hunt, please defend your stance on eating a steak that came from something that you don't know anything about its background. The only, the most you know about that animal is that it was wrapped in plastic and put on a, a black styrofoam platter and put under light for you to buy. Right. And it has a value on it. Yeah. And so for us, especially since it's clearly illegal to sell wild game of any type for us, hunting deer hunting, especially is um, not only is it a great pastime, not only is it, is it about you know having providership or, or reaching a level of providership in your family, it's about possessing and eating something that there's no other way to acquire it. You know you can't you can't sell me wild venison, right? right? And and if anybody out there is trying to sell you wild venison, <laughs> totally illegal, you're by being the way. set up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. there is a van down the street with yeah. some FBI agents with uh, with headphones on listening. Okay, don't do that. Do not. <laughs> it's not good. But um, I mean, I'm aware that you can buy farmer's venison and access it, yeah, and all exactly. that stuff. It's, but it's not the same. You it's don't have as much. Fed. You know. Yeah. Um, I guess time put in to kill that animal. I mean, it's just so much that goes into yeah. to from killing an animal to being at the, the camp with your family and friends. And then, you know, actually putting that product in your, your house. I mean, my wife and I, we kill quite a few deer a year and we literally do, we don't have to go to the store for meat. You know? yeah. it's, it's really nice. That's the thing for us is that I, you know, we have a, a limit of 60 or a year per person here in the state. And, um, when I, when I get to my wife and I, We'll eat three, sometimes three and a half deer a year. Mm -hmm. And we eat venison three or four times, sometimes five times a week. Um, to the point where if we make lasagna, it isn't venison lasagna. We don't even, we drop the word venison. If it is spaghetti, it's yeah, not it's, venison spaghetti. It's just This spaghetti. isn't a special occasion here. <laughs> We're just cooking dinner. Yeah. And it's venison. And that's because it's the only red meat that we have. Um, but uh, if I kill, if I kill more than, three or four, sometimes five deer in a year with my bow, which I've, I've limited out a few times. That's when I start, you know, taking care of my family mm -hmm. and start packaging it up and giving. And, and I've got to say, that's another thing that we're all real big on is that we enjoy the camaraderie and the community of hunting mm -hmm. as well. And there, are, I guarantee you, whether it's you catch a limited trout in the Gulf, whether you, you kill a limited ducks or whether you shoot a deer, there's somebody in your mind that you know that, that loves this stuff yeah, that can't yeah. get it and one of this is one of the best parts of being a sportsman is we it's not just about us it's about our kids it's about our family that doesn't hunt anymore it's about our mother-in-law that loves you know redfish on the half shell right and so when you get an excess sometimes and sometimes even before you have an excess of meat you're trying to, you're divvying it up in your mind. Yeah, totally. Who's going to get what? Our neighbor, I live in a neighborhood now. I grew up, you know, in the in the country, in Karen mm -hmm. Um So now I live in a neighborhood, and it's a great way for me to get out and actually meet my neighbors. I, I bring them a couple packs of sausage, and, and, man, it's like, you know, it's like you gave them a $100 bill. They get all pumped yeah. up, and they're like, man, this is great, you know. And I didn't know you hunted, and then the conversation starts, and, and uh, it's really a good way to kind of break the ice and uh, also, you know, giving it to your family and friends for the holidays. I mean, um, so, yeah, that, there's there's a lot of, of good that, that comes in comes around the uh the whole process i guess uh of hunting and even processing your own game i mean i have yeah. a lot of customers that do their own stuff they call me to get season ideas recipes and, and whatnot and uh they just do it because they love to do it you know it's it's yeah. it's fun what type of clients are you getting that are dropping off their deer is it are they doing it because I, I know a lot of people I talk to about processing game. They've never, ever done it ever. Mm -hmm. And they, they trust professionals like you to just yeah. do the whole thing. And there's a, there's a part of me that, um, I, it, I kind of almost, I feel bad cause they're missing out on something I enjoy so much, which mm -hmm. is the after the process, the pro physical processing of deer, um, but do you have any advice for people that maybe want to get into it or, or something like that? Yeah. Um, so a lot of equipment is needed. Not, not say a whole lot, but I mean, you're going to need a mixer. You're going to need a grinder. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to need a saw. 
Um, and you're going to need a sausage stuffer. Now, whether that's a you yes. know $6,000 um, hydraulic stuffer or a hand crank stuffer, depending on how many yeah. deer you do a year. Um, and you're going to need some type of cold storage. Um, so, and, and a vacuum packer, of course, um, would... would yeah, that's almost a necessity. So, well, now. I mean, so, I've eaten meat in my freezer that's four years old that I did for myself, yeah. and it tastes just like the day I made it. So I'm feeling very self conscious as you're naming all this stuff that I need because I feel as if I've been getting by with like the bare minimum. You totally can. It's, yeah. So here's here's what I've been doing. I know a lot of it is an expensive barrier to entry of getting into processing. It can right. be if you go commercial grade. I stuff. mean, if you were if you were to just look at the dollar figure of what it would take to buy your equipment to do your own on a small scale, let's say one deer at a time. Okay. You might be able to process eight deer by paying you to do it. It might be more advantageous cost wise to just say, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to bring it to a process. Right. right. And so it isn't about money. It can't be about money. It's got to be about the love. of You have to love to do it. And some people hate it. Mm -hmm. And, and and some people love to pull a trigger on a deer and then eat it later and skip the whole middle. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I, I love, I love the middle part. I really do. Cause it's, I mean, it's proven it's, I mean, everybody, my wife, my wife packs everything. My uncle and I break everything down. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you a cheat code that I've been doing for a while. People think you need like a hundred to $500 grinder to do this stuff. If anybody listening has a wife with a KitchenAid mixer, I'm Does dead serious. Do you wow. know, I have you know where I'm we going? We got one. We just got married and we You're got one. You're going to think one. I'm crazy. <laughs> KitchenAid has a $50, $49.99 on Amazon grinder attachment wow. for your KitchenAid mixer. I have probably done 15 to 18 deer through this thing over the last couple of years. And it's slow. And you're going to notice this. You're going (laughs) to, when you start going through my meat here and if you, you know, this week, you'll notice I have it cut into um, strips, maybe two inch by two inch by eight inches. So you can feed it. It has to feed the very, a very small throat. Right. But that KitchenAid mixer, I have put over a dozen deer through it and it's slow. And I have time myself. If I'm going to make sausage myself, if I'm going to make sausage with the casing and, and seasoning and all that, if I start at 9 a.m., I will end at 9 p.m. It will take me 12 hours to make sausage. Yeah. For, if, I'm going to take, if I'm going to do two deer of sausage, it'll take me 12 hours. Uh, I did get a sausage stuffer. It, I think it was like 150 bucks. I got it for Christmas two years ago. A uh, hand crank. It's or... a hand crank. It only nice. holds five pounds at a time. Um, but it works, yeah, you know, yeah, totally. and I'll make 30, 40 pounds of sausage in a day. And so, like you said, you have to enjoy the process because there is not a good logistics or time saving reason or even a money saving reason to do it on your own. Yeah. It's hard to, some people, um, obviously will try to do it to save money, but I mean, I'm on the bare minimum, you're looking at about five to 500 to $800 yeah. and, then, and then your time. If it takes you nine hours to do two deer, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a substantial amount of time. When you could be hunting. <laughs> yeah, you know, or, it's a opportunity it's, cost. It really is. And, and some to some people, that's that's okay. But some people say, hey, I'd rather, you know, be in the woods. There's or, a whole nother, there's a whole nother uh, portion of doing your own processing that can eat up a lot of your time. And I know this from experience. I mix my uh, venison meat with about 20% beef fat. Mm-hmm. Okay, ribeye fat. R- fat trimmings from, uh, it could be from a restaurant, it could be from a meat market, um, anybody that gets meat in bulk and then and then cuts it themselves. Yeah, slaughterhouses. Slaughterhouses, mostly. Yeah. You, can buy, you can buy beef fat 50-pound cases at a time. Mm-hmm. You can buy pork fat 50-pound cases at a time. But um, anyway, I have spent two full days, I hate to admit it, two full days <laughs> chasing fat around town yeah going to this little store going to this yeah calling (laughs) uh you know Frey Marche calling Rouse's calling Whole Foods even calling uh Albertson's Winn-Dixie it just becomes a a a hunt for a butcher that won't blow you off and also somebody that can make a decision sometimes because a lot of those people they're like oh we have it but I can't sell it to you yeah we're we're throwing it away (laughs) we're throwing away I can't sell it to you oh my god and and so um you know that's you know reason number 18 why I brought you my meat today to do was because I was like you know what I got it this far I don't feel like burning a whole day potentially looking for somebody that can sell me eight pounds of fat yeah because grocers will sell you two or three pounds at a time yeah you got to go to yeah, a couple of them. Actually, the the most uh, the the most consistent and helpful place I've ever been to, 
um, was actually Maxwell's Market. Okay. Uh, if you'll have those in Lafayette. Uh, no, we don't. It's kind of a, you could call it like a boutique grocer okay. almost. They're, they're, they're a specialty meats market, but they have limited vegetable groceries and, you know, a lot of, you know, wine store. It's, it's a mixture, but they're kind of scattered around Baton Rouge. And I think I've seen them in Lafayette. I know they have them in New Orleans, but right. pretty much it, this is the, the idea you want to go into this with is I'm looking for somebody that processes their own meat for them to sell. And then somebody that would have the fat as a byproduct. Right. Right. And so, um, if you just call your butcher and ask for fat trimmings, uh, pork or, or beef, then, um, you know, they'll be either be able to help you or they won't. But uh, that was a big factor in why I brought you my stuff today. Other than the fact yeah. that I was coming over here to do the podcast with you. But I was like, man, I'm not going to burn my <laughs> Sunday before I have to go back out of town on Monday looking for looking for a bunch of fat. Yeah, all over, we, we struggle you know? trying to get it in. I mean, I'll put the APB out right now if anybody has fat. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, a, it's a commodity. It's a, it really is, you know, because, I mean, a lot of people leave those grade A cut uh, ribeyes, they leave that fat in there because it, it does make a juicier product. So yeah. it is hard to get the ribeye fat, but there are other parts of the cow that you can get fat from, you know, so. But when, but when you've got a high quality meat that's been taken care of venison and then you mix in a high quality fat, I mean, it's, Oh yeah. It's, it's a game changer. Phenomenal. Yeah. It is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then, so I've always used, cause we use ground meat more than anything. And I've been, um, uh, tasked by my wife to bring home ground meat. We don't do the steak thing very often. We have two cuts. We have backstrap, mm-hmm. ground meat. Yeah. And then after we get enough ground meat to last us the rest of the year, then we can start talking about sausage. sausage yeah. Right. For sure. That's it. And so, um, you know, my, my uncle Kyle, he grew up in an era of deer hunting where if you saw a deer for the season, you killed it. Right. I mean, this this is the late fifties. You 60s, may have had one 70s. opportunity. Yeah, he, uh, he he tells me stories about how they would call everybody over from the camp to come look at a deer track, not a deer. Wow, tr- a, a track from where a deer once stood, and and so when I tell him that I like everything to come in the ground meat, it breaks his heart. He he'll, he'll help me break it down, <laughs> but he's like, man, this kills me for you to not turn these roasts and these hams into steaks, and then have you know dozens of meals off of that right, off of right. steaks and i tell him i'm like look if i want a steak or if i want a hunk of meat i'm going to cook a backstrap if i want but other than that every other thing that we eat with venison generally includes ground meat right well know? we do a lot of steaks for gravies you know gravies yep. are big in the south people cooking you know it's very easy to cook you can watch the game so we do cut we do a lot of cuts here mm-hmm. um but yeah I, i'll agree i'm i'm a sausage guy man I, I love it i like and then i'll break it open and make a burger with it you know because we do some pineapple stuff and apple stuff i just i really like that kind of stuff so so, so what's what do you think the most popular thing that y'all make for people is um probably our jerky sticks so it's like a Slim Jim. Um, that was very, very popular last year. And this year, uh, we have something called Cajun Sugar. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's basically um, my seasoning with uh, quite a bit of brown sugar. And it really, really darkens up in the pot, you know. Um, so that that's really popular this year. And then we have a Zotico special. That's your traditional kind of sausage, you know, with garlic, onions, mm-hmm. uh, bell peppers, celery, all that kind of stuff. So that's probably number three or four in yeah. popularity. Cause it, this is the fun part is being creative with what yeah, you're going to totally. make that it's almost, I mean, it's uh, when I was in college, I was a chef in new Orleans at mm-hmm. commander's palace. And I mean, I love, absolutely loved just creating things that were great combinations of flavors. Mm-hmm. And so, and you know, you, 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 you burn through ideas and you keep the ones that were great. You dismiss the ones that weren't, you don't ever make that again. But, um, I've made the ones that I make every year is maple bacon breakfast sausage, Oh wow! which is where it's about 25% pork fat, 75% venison. Um, it'll have uh, coriander. I'm trying to think what else I put it. Coriander, uh, sweet anise seed, which is anise is uh, fennel, fennel yeah, seed, yeah. right? Um, and then red pepper flakes. And then I'll put, it depends on how much it is I, I use, but I'll take bacon ends in pieces sometimes as the fat mm-hmm. is what I'll put in. So it's that bacon flavor. And then I will dump, no joke, two full bottles of maple syrup into it. Oh, yeah. And salt and pepper to taste. And that stuff is like candy. You know, you want to eat, I want to eat that every breakfast. It's good. Some of my lesser uh favorite sausages that i made i've I've made bratwurst twice 
once was really great, once wasn't so great. <laughs> it's hit or miss. It, it, yeah, and it's where milk is a big ingredient, and then it's a lot of ground garlic and ground onions. Mm-hmm. Probably maybe like a quarter of the weight of the whole thing is ground onions. Wow. Um, but it still came out very bland because I just I didn't season it enough. That was my own fault. I love making that stuff. So, you know, I said I had a story earlier about a deer and riding around town. There was a a huge deer that was killed by a guy here in Louisiana in Alabama Mm -hmm. um, two, three seasons ago. And I remember seeing it up on Facebook where uh, the guy had it on his toolbox by his back window. And he laid it up there. And he was in like Troy, Alabama, wherever he's coming back from. (laughs) And this was at like 9 or 10 in the morning. And I went for an afternoon hunt that evening. And when I was leaving town, I was behind this guy on the interstate. And that de- and it was not cold that day. It wow. was in December, but it was one of those like 50-degree December days. Mm-hmm. And he Sun drove was out. <laughs> all the way from Troy, Alabama with this thing on his back toolbox. And it was it was field dressed. Think I mean I don't think it mattered even at that. No, point. I really don't think you know. But he it, drove he needs six some ice in that car hours. At that at highway speeds in 50 to 55 degree weather wow. just to prove that he killed a big deer. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I was like, you oh, yeah, wow. take a picture, dude, like take a picture and then just move on. Yeah. Because that's going to taste so terrible by the time your processor gets to it or you get to it. Because if it was 28 degrees, that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've driven back from, from, you know, West Feliciana or the tunica area with deer on my tailgate in 25, 28 degrees. And I have no, that's like keeping it in a cooler. Yeah, for sure. You know, but 50, 55 degrees driving two States over. Don't do that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's definitely not something you want to make a habit of. And that, that was, uh, leading into something right here. A lot of people ask, what's the proper way to ice a deer down in an ice chest? Mm-hmm. You know I mean? What, how long can it last in there? Um, I'll tell you from experience, I have personally open ice chest, now, granted, this was a perfect scenario. The ice chests were kept indoors, so it wasn't outside in the back of somebody's truck. They kept ice water slush. with mm-hmm. uh, They put salt in it to make that really cold. You know, when you yeah, trout really fishing, cold. you mm-hmm. make that trout slush. So you make that slush. Uh, you can keep a deer in there for 20 days. Yeah. You know? It'll last. It'll last. Now, so the, I'm glad you brought that up. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. People seem to be on the line or very <laughs> opinionated about icing deer and not icing deer. Yeah. Most of them I tend to see are people on the internet that are opinionated about, opinionated about it because they want you to hang your deer. Mm -hmm. You know, they accuse people of washing the gaminess out of it or whatever, but we don't have the luxury weather wise of just hanging our deer for three days in our garage in Louisiana. Maybe we did last year, from December 6th through the 9th, maybe, when it was snowing four inches on the ground. But on average, we can't do that. And then on the other hand, is if you've got a cooler at the camp, then you can absolutely do that. But um, So what's your what's your opinion on that? I think it, it's kind of like the argument of, uh, is Billy's Boudin better than Don's yeah. Specialty Meats? Um, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's arguments on both sides, and I don't think anyone will ever come up with a solid answer. I'll tell you, I don't know... Um, if now it depends what you're doing, if you're making steaks, obviously you'll know, because when you put a a deer in, in water, it will turn it white over time, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but when, and I've just noticed that from cutting deer, you know, throughout the years, when you hang it, it's going to keep that nice red, uh, beefy kind of look to it. Um, so maybe that's kind of what they're talking now, as far as flavor, I I don't know, because I ice my deer down. You know, it yep. may be that some people may say, man, it's the wrong way. You know, it's just, it's hot where I, and I just don't have that luxury to put it in a, in a cooler. Um, so yeah, you know, as far as picking a side, there's no way that I could, I, I do both ways. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just don't have a, an answer hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like I said, it, everybody's got a different opinion on it. A lot of people, and this is the internet these days, a lot of people, have really latched on to this poorly written opinion piece article about the dangers of icing your meat. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I, I read it and I'm like, this is just a scare tactic. More totally. Than anything. Yeah. Um, you can tell because it's written by somebody that uses really poor grammar, run on sentences, um, poorly strung together thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I get my point is it's not a reputable source. No, right? absolutely. Um, not. and, um, uh, 
uh, do you know what article I'm talking about? Yeah, I've it's seen some, it. It's something around. about like the dangers of icing your deer mm-hmm. or something like that. People and, tag me in articles like that because they know what I do for a of living. Course. So. And and so um, I agree with some portions of it, but as a universal wave of the hand, this is now law. Don't ever do this again. It's garbage. Right. It's 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 to each their own. I personally ice my deer. In fact, I killed a deer last Friday evening. This is the deer that I brought here today. I killed mm-hmm. it last Friday evening, which is a week ago. It's Saturday now. Um, I quartered it. I put it on ice. A lot of ice because I knew I was going to be out of town all week in mm-hmm. Texas. Came back Friday morning, uh, broke it down Friday evening, and here I am at Saturday. That's seven, eight You're days good. so far. Oh yeah. And the the trick is is you know pouring ice on top of it more than you. It's better to have more too much than not enough, and then just cracking that drain. And yep. then um, you want it to be draining out. And I'm not trying to do that for a cleanliness reason or a get rid of gaminess reason or whatever you might be able to pin to somebody that does that of, of their preference of deer flavor over yours. But I do it for the fact that I sometimes I kill a deer on a Sunday evening mm-hmm. and I can't clean it all that night or tomorrow. I might not be able to clean it until Thursday. Um, and so that's our southern a way of overcoming the problem of how do we make deer last longer? Yeah. We're right? problem solvers down here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, not everybody has a stand walking cooler. They right. can hang a deer in. So I was just curious on your, your feelings. You know, I will say when it comes to pork, um, it's better to err on the side of caution. Um, cause you know, it's, it's, they tend to spoil quicker mm-hmm. than deer do. Why know? is that? It's because they have more of a fat content than deer. So deer, elk, most of your cervids have very, very lean meat, very mm-hmm. small amounts of fat. Um, and pork, you know, they, they have a whole bunch of it. So um, that, that portion will kind of spoil the rest of the meat um, in, in a little bit quicker time frame than, than you uh, will see in deer. Gotcha. So, like I said, good. you can put a deer in ice chest for, you know, 10 to 20 days, man. I've seen, and, and the meat is yeah. beautiful. I mean, nothing wrong with it. No smell, no nothing. So I've gone as far as 11 before. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I almost stayed up at night, you know, worrying <laughs> yeah. about it. So yeah. it's good to know that as long as yeah. you care for it properly. And this, and this is another thing worth saying. You got to clean your cooler really well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Cause, for sure. Because one of the things I do agree with that article is the introduction of bacteria, right? Yeah. And, and if, I mean, if you put raw deer straight into a dirty cooler or even one that has been clean six months ago when you last hunted, it's been in your garage since, just you know, fill it up with water, fill it with bleach for 20, 30 minutes yeah. and then, and then, yeah. and then, uh, drain it out and, and, uh, scrub it down real good and you're good to go. But that's probably from a safety standpoint, obviously you want to be starting with a clean cooler. Um, but, uh, I mean, as far as just to kind of recap some of the things we've talked about so far, obviously you have to get it on ice as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, my father-in-law, who's a, a, a big game hunter, caribou and elk and all that, he takes it a step further. he, he wants you to get the hide off of it as fast as possible mm-hmm. because it's one thing to, you know, have it, have it gutted and shove a bag of ice in the chest cavity to kind of cool it from the inside. But that hide's still retaining a lot of that heat. Yeah. It's like, it's it's like gonna, a blanket, right? Exactly. So, um, getting the hide off as fast as possible is good. And when I say as fast as possible, I don't mean like, you know, it has to be within 30 minutes. Right. But a reasonable time is probably within two hours. If you can't get that deer's body temperature down within a few hours of it dying, you're only going to be hurting yourself as far as the end product goes. Correct. You know, of course, there's exceptions such as um, maybe a poor hit on an animal, mm-hmm. uh, having to chase it or having to track it with a dog and, and then finding it eight hours later. Right. But this is the kind of stuff, if you bring it to a processor uh, that's experienced, they can look at the ice chest, you know, they can look at the animal and say, look, man, this meat is kind of, you know, iffy. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe you should, you know, disregard this carcass and shoot another animal. And uh, that'll keep you safe because, I mean, you know, some of this stuff you, you can run into Have you issues. ever had anybody push back on you and be like, no, take it anyway, it's good? Yeah. I mean, I've, and you just about, I've just about seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so, I mean, that's oh, yeah. kind of the, the sign. Let, let's talk about that. I, you know, obviously, you want people to bring you their meat and, and, and do the processing, but what are the signs of a good processor, in your opinion? Um, I, honestly, I think when you walk in a place, you know you know Mm -hmm. you walk in somewhere the first five seconds you'll know i mean as 
some of these places are, we're going to have some odors, okay? We're a meat market. But overall, the cleanliness, you know, is the floor, you know, a mess? Does it have, you know, raw meat products on the ground from like last week? Mm. You know, is there flies? So the obvious stuff. Um, and then, you know, their turnaround time, you know, do they do this full time? Because if, if you're bringing it to a guy who might do it part time, your meat might sit in the ice chest. You know, it may be, where is it going to sit? Is it going to yeah. sit inside a facility or outside? Uh, for a couple days until they can get around to it. Um, and, you know, you can check up on Facebook reviews people get. So yeah. there's there's actually tons of ways. But I think the best way uh, is send your wife in there. <laughs> <laughs> if she'll walk in and pick it up for you, then yeah. you're good. Yeah. That's great, man. I, I, I know you have a 24-hour drop-off here, which is really unique. Mm-hmm. And obviously, um, we're big supporters of you and your business from Louisiana Bowhunter standpoint. But you, from a location standpoint – you're very centralized in the state as far as corridors go. Mm-hmm. You're on I-49, but you're only like seven minutes from where 49 and 10 cross. Right. So, I mean, you're just right here in Karen Crow, north of 10. So, it doesn't matter if you're going east to west or going north to south. You're you're pretty accessible. And since you have 24-hour drop-off, I mean, if people are coming, let's say you kill a deer on Sunday night in north Louisiana, um, uh, at your camp somewhere and you don't pass through here until midnight. Yeah. That's you fine. can still throw it in the door and you're good to go. That's correct. Um, now can somebody bring a, a whole deer that's gutted, leave it here or does yes. it have to be quartered? So as long as it's gutted, um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll take it in. There's a, a charge for that of course, but, um, you know, some guys, they kill something really late at night. They got work the next day and, and they really don't want that headache the next morning. Yeah. And, and that's, we want to be as convenient as possible, um, for our customers. And that's, that's all it is. That's great, man. Well, um, and, and so where do they bring that to? I, I see you've got this little door in the room. Yeah. Right so this is us. during normal business hours. This is the, uh, in, this is where we take in all the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's a drive through so you can drive through here with a truck and trailer. So don't, you don't have to back in or anything crazy. You That's can just good. drive right in. Uh, and you drive to the back, there's a black gate and, uh, you call the number on the sign, 886, uh, area code 337-886-6848. And I'll give you the password and, uh, let yourself in and write your name and number on the ice chest. Very important. And, uh, you get a call the next day and we'll get your order. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So what's your what's your average turnaround time? I, I saw you have a sign on the door that says it's, it's uh, like smoking takes longer, right? That's correct. So so tell us a little bit about your, your turnarounds. So during really in the middle of deer season, uh, like I'd say from mid-November through, you know, mid-January, it's pretty much next day if you have ground meat or um, sausage. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, a, you know, as quick as same day. Um, just depending on the workload, we get really busy around Thanksgiving and really busy around the holidays, Christmas and, mm-hmm. and et cetera. So, um, th- at the most you're looking at about four days and that's if you have a, a lot of smoked meat or if we get a whole bunch of smoked meat orders in and yeah. Um, so yeah, anywhere from one to four days, but generally speaking, you know, two days. And like you said, it's like you said, you're doing one animal at a time, yeah, right? That's correct. So, uh, if you bring in, how can I say this is, there's been accusations of people that people have feeling as if they don't get an amount of finished product back right that they brought in Mm -hmm. right um so what happens there so and and i think some of that it's it's who who's wrong and who's right so i'll kind of go over that that's a good point when you kill about 110 pound doe 120 pound doe your yield uh, is probably only going to be about between 25 and 35 pounds of actual meat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have probably four pounds of three pounds of backstrap, four pounds of backstrap, and the rest is going to be meat. So, um, you know, sometimes if people come in and they say, all I want is ground venison, mm-hmm. well, you're only going to get, you know, 35 pounds of meat back. Now, yeah. if you mix it with pork, of course, you're going to get 65, 70 pounds of yeah. meat back, depending on your ratios. Uh, now, I, am I saying that some people steal meat? I don't really think that that processors do it i mean mm-hmm. i really don't think that goes on i don't know but so you, i wouldn't so, you, think. so so we think that it's it's probably um customer maybe, misconception yeah yeah because yeah, i mean you've got let's think about it you've got a hundred let's say a hundred pound deer um how much of that is just the the internals that are discarded a lot like 40 pounds, 35 yeah. Oh, yeah. pounds, you know i say a third a third and a third just to okay. be safe and so um so you've got obviously 
100 pound deer, 30 pounds of guts. So you got 70 pounds left. Out of that, the maybe bones 15 of that is bones. 10 pounds is the hide. The head. So, and then, yeah, the, the head. It's very. You know, um, so like you said, we're dwindling down to that 30 to 40 pound mark out yeah. of a hundred pound deer, 110 pound deer pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and that is raw deboned, um, clean meat ground, ready to go. Right now. Like you said, when you're adding pork or do y'all, do y'all use pork butt? Uh, so I have in the past, but, um, throughout the years of doing this, I found that pork picnics work better. Uh, we trim the picnics a little bit more, but it has a higher fat content. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes a better sausage, a juicier sausage. I mean, like I was telling you earlier, um, I really wanted my product to appeal to the family. So yeah. I want, I want families to be able to eat, eat this stuff at over dinner and whatnot. So, um, I have two types of customers. One is a guy that'll come in here and say, Hey, look, my wife is never going to eat this so i want it 100 venison because yeah. i like wild game and then i have another clientele who'll come in and say hey look i want it 50 50 with pork uh and season it you know because mm-hmm. my family eats this and spaghettis and and all that good stuff so yeah you know it just kind of depends that's awesome well uh look like like we said earlier you've got a very impressive facility thank you um smells great <laughs> uh looks great i know i can i can obviously tell you've invested a lot of time and money and effort into trying to create a very professional place that people want to come back to and it, and it shines through it, it definitely comes through well thank you so i think you have a great operation um but uh before we wrap up do you have anything else that maybe you want to add that we can cover uh you know a lot of guys ask me you know where to find kind of uh, equipment to do their own processing and whatnot i would recommend acadiana uh scale and equipment it's actually right next door to my place here in karen crow those guys have been doing it years and they service all my equipment um they're just a great group of guys um and uh yeah that's about it we're located exit four in karen crow if you have any questions or concerns my phone rings all the time so don't be scared to call uh 337-886-6848 Nice. Um, now, what's your, what's your website for the business? Uh, it's processdat.com. P-R-O-C-E-S-S-D-A-T.com. Gotcha. And if you want to see our current prices, you can click on processing once you get to that site. And uh, it'll have a breakdown of all of our prices because um, they all kind of differentiate. Um, you know, if you want brisket or pork or, you know, your ratios mm-hmm. change, so prices change. Yeah, of course. Well, look, man, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you letting me come over and check out your shop, your facility. Absolutely. And, you know, it's fun. We shooting shooting some trad bows <laughs> earlier. Yeah, um, that was great. First only, time I've ever shot one. I mean, only was... put one into the wall. <laughs> That's the, what happens when we shoot indoors. But um, I appreciate your time, man. And, uh, Look, we'll get together soon. I'll look forward to picking up my stuff from you. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you'd like to hear on the show, send us an email at info at louisianabowhunter.com. We want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors, Old Cypress Outdoors, Cousin Smokehouse, and Steve German's Taxidermy. We could not put this podcast on without you, so thank you so much for your support. Y'all be sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive updates for when we release new episodes. And make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and the website at louisianabowhunter.com. See y'all next week.